Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, welcome in once again. It's David Summers hosting another studcast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America, as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. Now we step back into the ring, back into time, into the Great Smoky Mountains, and the Tennessee stud... Ron Fuller living the good life. What's going on, Ron? Oh man, uh, just uh, just uh, enjoying myself uh, at uh, some pretty cold nights now. Uh, every once in a while, I do something on uh, social media, and uh, I get all these people responding to me. And now, instead of wearing those uh, those t-shirts, uh, I'm wearing a jacket, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, 26 here last night. So. Yeah, it's not a windbreaker either, is it? <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's a little beyond the windbreaker some nights. Yeah, some yeah. days. So uh, <laughs> no, but uh, it's it's what happens in this part of the country, and uh, and it's still beautiful. Uh, we still got a few leaves, in fact, uh, on some mountains anyway, where the wind don't get to them very much, and it's a. Uh, it's been an experience, quite an experience living up here, man. All right, but have you had the first real snow yet? Nope, seen no snow yet. I kind of thought we might see a little bit last night, uh, especially since it got down to 26, but we didn't get any, no moisture, man. So uh, obviously we didn't get any snow, but uh, it could happen at any time, I guess. All right. Uh, there's already been some on top of a, <laughs> on top of a Klingman's Dome. Yeah. Saw a yeah. picture of that. So they're getting it up there, but that's 7,000 feet up. All right. Just be ready to have your hubs locked in and in chains if, if necessary. So, all right. all right, stud, there's a lot to talk about today. And all Studcast fans are definitely on fire now, Ron. The last one ended with two of wrestling's greatest stars being carried out, Ron. A young bruiser, Brody, on his way to fame. And the other one, the world-famous Australian kangaroo's own Al Costello. Plus, Southeastern wrestling had become, almost overnight, the best small territory, we're talking in the world, one of the best tag teams ever, last studcast. Can you believe it? They split up with a violent encounter that started at ringside. It continued upstairs to the Hills dressing room at Chilhowee Park, and then back outside the dressing room, Almost 4,000 crazed fans in this building, meant for 3,000, saw the future in Bruiser Brody, billed as Ronald Pope, but stretchered to the dressing room, and they saw the past in Al Costello as he was put in an ambulance. 
There's so much to keep up with. Neither of the two, can you believe it, would never be seen again in southeastern Knoxville. So new stars arriving every week, and old favorites like Bob Armstrong and you are leaving after losing hugely important matches. The TV show voted by Wrestling Writers of America as the best in the world had Southeastern flying high as the best small wrestling territory in the entire world. Some of the greatest stars ever filled the rings. The largest per capita audiences for TV shows anywhere in the world were watching Southeastern across five states from some of the best TV stations in America. Listen, you had to really be pretty proud of all this, stud. You had created something really special, and now you rewind all of it, and again, you capture the world's attention with the hottest new YouTube channel, Southeastern Rewind. It is so cool. How does it feel, Ron? Gosh, man, it uh, you know it feels good, man. Uh, just like it did, I guess, the first time it happened uh, back 40 years ago. You know, uh, it felt good back then. It feels good now uh, to be able to be able to be able to rewind these programs again and be able to show them to old fans. And these great old school shows, man, like the Continental and USA Championship Wrestling and the Southeastern one that's on the Rewind channel right now, they are bringing back memories for those people that watched them originally. I hear that all the time, social media. I watched these shows a long time ago, man. It's really, a, it's a great trip, a great ride for people to go back and see them again. And you know, and it's at the same time, Dave, we're also building a growing audience from new wrestling fans that never experienced these type of TV shows with great wrestlers, great angles, uh, storylines. There's no storylines anymore in wrestling TV shows. And uh, all of that is in <laughs> these older wrestling shows. Yeah. There, you know, there's there's two new TV shows added each week now. We're doing that. One is Continental Championship Wrestling, CCW. It was called by us, uh, the wrestlers and uh, and those people that were dealing with it on a daily basis. Uh, it was produced weekly from 1985 through 1987, and it was the first TV show produced in a big arena, Birmingham's Boutwell Auditorium. It had multiple cameras. It even had a handheld camera. Uh, for great close-ups, uh, the first to ever do that as well. So the other TV show placed on the Southeastern Rewind YouTube channel each week was called, obviously, USA Championship Wrestling. And for those that have been watching these episodes, as I keep putting them on there, uh, this one was done originally in 1988, and it was came from the Knoxville Coliseum Ballroom, which was about three or four times as big as a regular television studio. And both of these shows were hosted by the man that many considered the best commentator in wrestling, the great Gordon Soley. Yeah. So yeah. Um, both of these shows are aired. Obviously, as I have always talked about, I wanted to do it in the sequence in which they were recorded. And so fans could understand what was going on from week to week and keep up with the all-important storyline and the angles. They were part of every TV show that I ever produced. And that uh, back in the day, everybody had storylines. Everybody had angles. And, uh, you know, that kind of got it now to where uh, they have writers that write the storylines, but they don't write the storylines. They don't know how they don't know how to present wrestling anymore because uh, they've lost touch with what the sport is. 
Well, it sure seems like a lot. I like the fact that every new stud cast that we do now is now on there. And I think one of the hottest new things is going to be the stud stories, which are really, you've just begun to scratch the surface on that. You also get your chance to be the storyteller stud. Anybody that's ever read your novel, Brutus, knows what a great storyteller you are. So there's so much more great stuff on the Southeastern Rewind channel, and it continues to grow every week. I think that's awesome. So speaking of every week, where are we going to ride on this studcast this week, stud? Well, we're going to change things up a little bit on this one, Dave. Uh, we're going to do the learning tree question first in this studcast. And now we're going to do that because I'd like to keep this angle, my big angle for the this studcast uh, uh, has a secret card, basically, and it's got an angle on it that uh, We've uh, got people involved in a couple of weeks ago asking if they could figure it out. And I want to keep that angle until the end of the show. So the learning tree question is going to come from two weeks ago. And uh, and it asked something about smaller cities in Southeastern, how they do in attendance compared to Knoxville. And, uh, you know, Knoxville at this point uh, had become one of the best wrestling cities in America. Well, uh, next we're going to focus on the great card of uh, – November 14th, 1977, Bob Orton Jr. and Mr. Knoxville had been the Southeastern Tag Champions for the last five months straight. Uh, they had not met against each other since March of 1977, mm -hmm. uh, back when, when, uh, when uh, Mr. Knoxville and, and uh, Ronnie Garvin was a heel. Uh, Bob Orton uh, came in and, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's really been a, a heck of a deal between these two guys, you know, and, uh, and Orton defeated Ronnie Garvin in a, when he was a baby face in the loser leaves Southeastern match back in March of 1977. So eight months earlier, they were uh, contending against each other. And we're going to talk about all these things that make up this combination. And it's, it's really a strange one. So uh, Joel Duke and Roy Lee Welch, uh, they're going to be defending their newly won Southeastern tag belts against the team that had been raising havoc, man. That was Don Carson and the Assassin, since both of those two had come back. And plus on this card is a very important match. It's going to decide who gets a shot at the NWA World Champion Nelson Royal in the next studcast. And the TV for this one is in the rating period of November 1977. So as you can imagine, Dave, I'm going to throw him some uh, different stuff here and uh, some special stuff. And then we're going to discuss it. Uh, we'll discuss the results of these matches from this card. And we'll also talk about the attendance. Hmm. Okay. So, uh, then we went in the stud cast with... Uh, uh, I, listen, actually, I think I could help you out there because my guess is... We end with the winner of the interactive game you played with fans a couple of weeks ago. We found out what the angle was on the card that was going to be changing wrestling in Southeastern and who it would involve. Good guess, Dave. You know, on the last uh, cast, uh, we, gave a, we gave an answer for a fan about an angle worked on last week's show. Uh, and it was a huge angle, but it wasn't the one I really wanted someone to figure out first. So, uh, <laughs> so um, we're going to end this studcast with the today's training. And as we follow up on the second major angle, the one that I really wanted to put the focus on, and we're going to we're going to be uh, uh, going big time in the last in these last three studcasts. Uh, we were really throwing some angles at them. So this was the major angle. And I had in mind two weeks ago, and uh, when we got the fans involved to see 
who could figure it out where Southeastern was headed. Uh, things began to quickly change, and they were changing fast. A lot of talent coming and going. And uh, we're going to find out today who was able to figure out what was going to happen before it actually did. So <laughs> I'm ready to ride, Dave. But, you know, uh, you know when, who, who asked that learning tree question again? Uh, I don't think I had that person's name. All right. Why not? Here we go, Stud. So a gentleman named Barry Whitmore says, how are the smaller cities in Southeastern doing in attendance compared to Knoxville that had really become one of the best wrestling cities in America? Great question there. Yes, it is a heck of a question. And, uh, you know, usually, man, when you had your major cities going well in your territory, the smaller cities were going well, too. You know that, And uh, those big crowds in Knoxville meant that it wasn't just Knoxville fans that were loving what they were seeing on TV, but it was all the fans in all that part of the country that were watching the TV. It didn't make any difference where they lived. We were making wrestling fans out of them back in this stage. You know, and our biggest problem at that time was the fact that buildings everywhere uh, were just too small for us. And, uh, you know, that's a good problem to have. But, uh, uh, you know, you always want to do uh, as much as you can in any business that you're operating uh, to be successful. So the Tri-Cities of Johnson City, Kingsport, and Bristol, Tennessee, they got their wrestling every Tuesday night. We ran in Johnson City in a place called the Rec Center in Johnson City. It only held about 3,000 fans, and we sold it out every week. But the problem was we couldn't run anywhere else every week except that building. So occasionally we did run some weekend shows, King Sports. For instance, there was a big high school gym called Dobbins Bennett, and it held about 5,000 people. Uh, there was another city up there, Bristol which uh, on the border, Tennessee and Virginia. And it had a nice gym called Viking Hall, and it also held about 5,000. So the three cities were all within 30 miles, only 30 miles apart. So uh, we couldn't run in either of the larger two buildings regularly because they were high school gyms. And, uh, you know, you just couldn't get those high school gyms on a regular basis. So obviously we're not able to take advantage of the population in that Tri-Cities area like we would have liked to have done. But we were doing as much business as we could do up there, uh, considering the sizes of the building. So everything in Kentucky was on fire, man. Harlan packed in over 3,000 their gym every other Saturday night, and the city's population was only 3,300. So if you're doing 3,000 in the gym and there's only 3,300 living in the city, you're doing pretty good, you know. And, <laughs> yeah. And Hazard had the largest yeah. building in that part of Kentucky, you know. And uh, we couldn't get in there as often as I wanted to, but uh, and it held about five thousand. It was almost similar to the size of the Coliseum. It was maybe a thousand people less than what the Knoxville Coliseum would hold. And almost every time we went up there, we just about filled up that five thousand seat building. Hazard's population was less than ten thousand. But in a town of 10,000, we drew 5,000 of the matches. I say that's pretty good per capita. That's a, that's a pretty good crowd. So we just couldn't get up there often enough. We couldn't get into that building often enough. And then we had these smaller Tennessee cities that were just selling out everywhere, all of their gyms. And uh, a lot of times those gyms would sell out 30 minutes or more before starting time. Uh, Mac McMurray used to come in and tell me he was the referee, but he also 
was handling ticket sales and he was kind of in charge of the people that handled the sales. Hmm. And he would come in and tell me, Ron, we're, we're sold out. Uh, you know, I know it's 40 minutes before we start, but there's no, no room for anybody else. So, uh, <laughs> that's a good problem to have. Yeah, and it is. <laughs> couldn't complain about that too much. Right. Yeah. So, uh, then, so what happened is uh, summertime came around, and that was obviously our best time of the year because we didn't have to stay inside the gym. We could run in the football stadiums. And uh, sometimes we'd have a bigger crowd in a football stadium in some small town in Tennessee than we could put in the Knoxville Coliseum. Hmm. <laughs> so, uh, so the bottom line, uh, Mr. Whitmore, per capita, the smaller cities outdrew Knoxville sometimes on a regular basis when we could get in their football stadiums. Wow. So, so we were really lucky, man, to just be in a great wrestling part of the country. Oh, and actually, I think you guys were actually making it great wrestling country. And I mean, just the interaction in those small towns, just looking for entertainment. And there you were, if it wasn't basketball, they were, and that's what that's what the, those areas of, of of Kentucky were all about. But if, if it wasn't basketball, they were certainly coming to see uh, to see you guys. So why don't we why don't we move to the entire card, the whole card for Knoxville back in the Coliseum again? And I think we're at Friday, November eleventh of seventy seven. That's correct. All right, right, man. So okay, so the opening match in this card on November eleventh, seventy seven, Ricky Gibson against Jerry Myatt. The second match was two stars going at it, uh, two quality wrestlers in the second match. Thunderbolt Patterson, who was just starting there, and he was taking on the pro, who was uh, Doug Gilbert. And uh, Doug had been there for many months, uh, was a tremendous talent and a great guy to have on any card. The third match on this card had special significance. The winner was going to get a shot the following week at the world heavyweight, junior heavyweight champion, Nelson Royal. And uh, this one, obviously, is an international affair because uh, it puts uh, from uh, England, uh, Tony Charles against from Ireland, Pat Barrett, uh, you know, a couple of the greatest wrestlers in the world. And then the Southeastern Tag Championship, the, the new champions, Joe LaDuke and Roy Lee Welch, are going to face off against Don Carson and the Assassin. And the next match uh, on the card was billed as a special challenge match. And the former Southeastern Tag Team champions faced off against each other for the first time in eight months since March 17, 1977, when Ronnie Garvin lost the Loser Leave Town match to Bob Orton Jr. And, uh, Ronnie was a huge baby face at that time. Hmm. And now he's back wearing a mask, uh, calling himself Mr. Knoxville hmm. because he lost that, uh, that match back in March against Bob Orton Jr. And now these guys are going to be facing each other again, man. Uh, the relationship between the two of them had been anything but ordinary. And so were their matches against each other. My gosh, they had some tremendous matches. Uh, fans were going to get to see their second great single match of this card. First one being that one with Tony Charles and Pat Barrett. And now this one between Garvin and Orton. And the main event was the Southeastern Championship match. 
with the no disqualification rules. It was my brother Rob's first match against the Stomper since the Stomper, Don Carson, and the Assassin, all three conspired to send me out of Southeastern. <laughs> so gorgeous George Jr., he's going to be in the Stomper's corner. Yeah, no surprise there. That's a that's a great card, Ron. Okay, so Charles against against Barrett, winner gets a shot at the World Junior title. Mister Knoxville versus Bob Orton Junior. Southeastern tag title match: Laduke and Roy Lee against Carson and the Assassin. So, tell us who was on the TV for November fifth of seventy seven, especially since it was a TV rating period show, right? Yes, it was. I mean, everything in the month of November, uh, you had four rating periods during that, during the year. Mm-hmm. November was a particularly important one because it was fall. Yep. More people were home. They were watching their TVs. Television stations really looked strong at that November and February book. Yeah. So uh, this November book was a very, very important one. So uh, Les opened up with a tight shot, and he ran down the card for the day. Uh, Mr. Knoxville was going to be in single matches after what had happened the night before, and we're going to get to that. Uh, Thunderbolt Patterson is going to be in action on this show. Irish Pat Barrett's going to be in action on this show. And the main event for this TV show uh, is going to be a uh, championship Southeastern tag match with the champions, Joe LaDuke and Roy Lee Welch. They're going to be wrestling against Don Carson and the Assassin for the belts on television. And they're going to be wrestling against each other the following Friday night in the Coliseum. But uh, I wanted to put them on TV against each other, man, uh, to have people see what kind of match these guys are going to have. Now, that's a big-time TV, Ron. What a great tag championship match for ratings, period. Okay, so who opens the show with less? Well, when the cameras backed away for the tight shot with Les, the shot on the set behind Les was not nearly as bold a photo as they usually were. It was a, it was something simple. With Al Costello reaching under the bottom rope to pull Roy Lee Welch's leg from under him, but instead he had reached and got Bob Orton Jr.'s leg. So when the cameras picked up Bob Orton Jr. sitting with Les, most of the studio they had been to the matches the night before. That was always the process, man. The folks, fans went there. They watched the matches. They were the first ones to show up TV the next day. And uh, most of that crowd had already seen what had happened the night before. Uh, but those at home, but uh, those that people at home had no idea what they were about to see. So the studio erupted in cheers, man. Bob Orton Jr., man, as soon as they saw Bob Orton sitting there with Les, they started cheering like crazy. He had definitely become a baby face in one night. And so, so Les welcomed him, and they were about to show the video from the night before. Uh, and then all of a sudden, kind of awkwardly, Ron Wright just appears on the set <laughs> from out of nowhere. And uh, Les and both Bob are obviously confused. You know? <laughs> I mean, they're like, wait a minute. You know what? And so Ron Wright, you know. At this point, he hadn't been on a Southeastern wrestling event or a TV show in more than four months. Wow. So, you know, it had been a long time since the fans had seen Ron. So the studio erupted in cheers again, just like they had cheered a second ago for Bob Orton Jr. No, and uh, 
And the same time, you know, I kind of figured that's what's happening in houses all across the southeastern United States, you know. So I didn't think it was a bad deal, Ron showing up out of nowhere, but it was a bad timing. So, uh, yeah, and it was definitely bad timing. So you could tell, though, Dave, you know, by the studio reaction, how much they missed old Ron Wright. So uh, Les hesitated, you know, and then what's he going to do? He, he went ahead and welcomed him. Hey, Ron. He took it, right? So, you know, and then Orton even got up out of his seat and he offered to shake Ron Wright's hand, you know. And Ron acted like he didn't see the gesture of friendship that, you know, uh, Orton was offering. Huh. I don't know whether he could or not. I mean, you know, I, I'm watching the show back and I'm thinking, you know, what the heck? Uh, you know, why didn't he shake his hand? So, uh, anyway, he didn't shake Orton's hand. And instead, he kind of waved to the studio audience, and he had a big smile on his face. And he said to Les, basically, and the studio audience, he said, it's great to be back, you know. And the studio popped again. You know, they, they loved old Ron. By this point, everybody could tell that Les wasn't expecting Ron Wright on the show at this, you know, <laughs> in this manner. So much less in the opening segment of the show. So he politely asked Ron to come back later in the show and then visit with him, and they would talk some. So Ron said something about, yeah, he'll definitely be back, you know, and he left the set. So uh, Orton sat back down, uh, less and apologized to him for the interruption, and uh, things were off to a kind of strange start on this show, you know. I mean, it, it, obviously... Uh, nobody expected Ron to show up, and uh, so, and it was going to be even more strange before this show ends. So, the video shot from the night before that I just talked about, where Joe LaDuke, uh, Roy Lee Welch were defending their southeastern belts against Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orton Jr., uh, was still up there behind them. And Les tried to get back in sync again, and he called for the director Bill Kincaid to roll a video. Right, so. And this was a hugely important video because it was going to either make or break Bob Orton as a babyface. And uh, if this was good and fans got into it, he's going to become one of the top babyfaces in the territory. If it doesn't get him over, he may be leaving the territories. Hmm. So mm -hmm. it started with Orton in the ring. And then, some, like I said, something small. Costello was tripping Orton by mistake. And once that, uh, that video started to roll, you know, uh, they'd been having these problems between Costello and Orton for two or three weeks in a row. Little things were happening that shouldn't have happened. And, you know, so then uh, shortly after this, then uh, Orton grabs a hold of Roy Lee in the corner. And, uh, you know, the video shows that he's holding him. Mr. Knoxville rears back to, to, to knock Roy's head into the, into the second row. And uh, Roy ducked. And he knocked Garver, he knocked Horton into the second row, mm -hmm. basically into the second row. Horton <laughs> fell backwards off the apron, and he landed on Costello, <laughs> who was sitting out there in a chair, wasn't paying attention. So that type of mistake was major. You know, it wasn't like the the last little mistake. You know? <laughs> and uh, you know, Horton uh, had been having problems with the um, with the. Costello and, uh, you know, uh, Garvin had been trying to settle the arguments for quite a bit. And I think this kind of snapped Gordon uh, Orton when he landed out there on on Costello and uh, Mr. Knoxville had knocked him off the apron. You know, then uh, he just reached in, grabbed Mr. Knoxville's feet, jerked him out from under him, and he drug him out on the floor. 
and uh, they started to fight. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> this video, that's where this video just turns into something phenomenal. Uh, you could never explain it. You know, you but uh, poor people watching this and seeing it uh, <laughs> basically live, you know, it was it was truly amazing. So you know, referee, uh, they're fighting, and uh, you know, the building just went nuts. I mean, as soon as the two heels uh, had been partners for five months, started banging each other and uh, and just going crazy out there, <laughs> the building just got really into it. And the referee just stood there and counted them out. You know, what's Costello going to do? He can't stop them from fighting. <laughs> you know, he's trying, but he can't get them back in the ring. And the referee counted them out. He had them ring the bell. The fight's still going on on the floor, but he had a, you know, had them ring the bell. He went over and raised Roy and Joe's hand, and they gave them their belts, and uh, they left the ring. And they weren't even noticed. I mean, because every fan in the building, they were only interested in what's going on over there in the fight between these two guys. Uh, kind of like all hell had broke loose, man. So uh, <laughs> the fight between Orton and Garvin continued on the floor outside of the ring. And then they finally roll back up into the ring. The video's picking up all of this. The fans are just wild in the building. You know, and it was soon clear who Al Costello wanted to win this particular fight because he attacked Orton from behind. <laughs> they were both fighting and he made his choice. I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to go along with Garvin here <laughs> with Mr. Knoxville. And he attacked Orton from behind and that made it even clearer who the fans wanted to win. That this they decision for them that they're going to go with Orton. So both Garvin and Costello end up then stopping Orton, obviously two on one here. And, uh, Mr. Knoxville grabs him up and he slams him in the middle of the ring and he goes up to the top rope to do his knee drop from the top rope. And when he came off of there, he was as high as I'd, as I'd ever seen him before in the air and uh, Horton moved. And uh, wow, the crowd exploded, man. And uh, so did this studio, man, uh, who was watching all this on the monitors that were in the studio. And uh, Mr. Knoxville, uh, Garvin landed hard on his knee, man. It was pretty obvious. And then he went flying straight through the ropes, man, out onto the floor. Hmm. And uh, and he was laying out there holding his knee. Costello started on Orton by himself. Uh, Orton's still down. You know, he just moved out of the way, but he wasn't up on his feet. So Costello figured, well, this is my spot. I better get him if I can. <laughs> and he started to tear into Orton by himself. And, uh, you know, and the studio crowd, they responded to seeing what was happening at this point. And uh, so it didn't take long for Orton to stop Costello. Uh, old Al was a little, had a little age on him, and he was not young like uh, Bob Orton Jr. was at this point. <laughs> and once uh, Orton stopped Al, he threw him up in his backbreaker, man. And uh, the building then uh, and the studio crowd both, they, they both exploded in unison, man. I mean... You could hear the roar from the building and the roar from the studio. And Orton jumped up and down several times to just accentuate the pain on poor old Al. And then he walked over the ropes where Garvin was still laying down on the concrete, holding his knee. He'd, he'd hurt his knee. And uh, Costello was uh, still sprawled out across Orton's back. So suddenly in this video, <clears throat> one of the worst bumps I ever saw, uh, 
Orton just dropped Costello headfirst off of his shoulders and onto Ronnie Garvin's back on the concrete floor. Whoa. And uh, there was an explosion from the crowd because they loved to see what he did. But then there was another gasp from the crowd that came immediately because it looked so nasty a bump that uh, I thought it killed him. I hmm. thought there's no way Costello was going to survive that bump. Wow. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and Orton just left the room, ring. He went up to the dressing room. He was through with him. You know, he dropped a, he dropped a, his manager on, on his head out there, and uh, Garvin's got a busted knee, and, uh, you know, so he, he just went on to the dressing room. And when he left the building, the cameras followed him, and uh, it showed the fans by the hundreds were reaching and patting him on the back as he went through this big, huge, massive crowd in this building. Way too many people in there for the size of the building. And uh, the fans were just all for Orton. They were really into it. So uh, Mr. Knoxville, he finally kind of got up out there on the floor and he tried to get Costello up, but uh, he couldn't do it. I mean, Costello was really hurt. So Garvin was barely able to stand on his own hurt knee. Wow. So he finally left Costello and he hobbled back upstairs to where the dressing rooms were. Hmm. And he's going to go back in the same dressing room where Bob Orton Jr. is, right? So when the camera cameraman followed him as he went up through the crowd and he got up to the dressing room and he went through the door. And, uh, you know, uh, and uh, when he did, uh, I, I guess Bob Orton Jr. was waiting. <laughs> man. And uh, he grabbed him and I guess he threw him out the dressing room door, but uh, I know that the cameraman stayed outside, but then all of a sudden, here comes Mr. Knoxville, uh, head first, come flying through the door and uh, out into the crowd again that's out there on that second level of this, of the building there, the old Jacobs building. Mm -hmm. And uh, he'd been thrown out, obviously, by Bob Orton, and that wasn't enough, so Orton came on out, he brought with him a steel chair, and he crowned <laughs> Ronnie Garvin uh, on the head with a steel chair, man. And, uh, bud, at this point, now the crowd upstairs and downstairs in that big old sold out park building, they were absolutely on fire. <laughs> so, so the video ended and it ended with a shot of Al Costello being carried to an ambulance. I mean, he was, he was really hurt. And, uh, Les finished, uh, the video by announcing that the, the two of them, uh, meaning uh, Ronnie Garvin, uh, Mr. Knoxville, and you, Bob Orton Jr., are going to settle this next Friday night. And that Al Costello that, that, that you see on the stretcher there uh, getting into the ambulance, uh, he he spent the night in the hospital, and, and he's not likely to return to the sport for quite a while. So, so Les thanked Orton for watching this really unbelievable video, and then he wished him well next Friday's showdown with Mr. Knoxville. Holy cow. What an opening to the TV show. And there had not even been a match yet. So how do you follow an opening like that? Well, uh, well I'm going to follow it with Mr. Wrestling arriving. Mr. Knoxville is going to be arriving himself, man. Mm -hmm. Bust out there right into the studio uh, for the first live match. Uh, he's got his knee bandage up. Obviously, he's, he's it's hurting him. But, uh, you know, it didn't bother the heat, man. He had, boy, he was, he was, he was really grinding heat at this point, man. Uh, 
and uh, now being against his own tag partner, his heat is going to just get even better. So, and he could kind of feel all that heat, man, like any good wrestler does, uh, a good heel anyway, when the crowd is, hates him so much, it makes you want to do more. You want to make them matter. <laughs> and, uh, and that's what he did. He just mm -hmm. pulverized his young guy that he was in the ring with. And then he set him up and he went up. And I think uh, one time before, Dave, uh, we talked about it. He did something that he had never done, but uh, one time before, he actually hit those lights up in the rafters yeah. of the TV station. Oh, uh, he went so high that he hit those lights again. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and then he came down and hit that young opponent's throat with that knee, man. And, uh, wow, it was a short match, but it spoke volumes about what was to come from Ronnie Garvin and wow. Mr. Knox. Holy so, cow. Uh, Mr. Knoxville went to the set with Les. Orton made his interview out of Studio B. And the heat between these two guys was volcanic, man. I mean, they just, wow, they just hated it, hated each other, you know. And they they both, uh, during the course of that interview, they promised as much violence next Friday as the fans had seen the night before. <laughs> Right when they got into the fight, it's going to be worse next Friday night. That was basically the storyline. And these two always had great matches. Uh, well, from the very beginning, uh, eight months earlier, when Orton had arrived in Southeastern. But this time, their matches are going to be unforgettable. So Thunderbolt Patterson was next up in the next match. And uh, boy, uh, you know, Thunderbolt uh, struck the dang studio crowd, I'll tell you that. And the fans at home, he had a unique style about him. And it never took Thunderbolt very long to get over in any territory where he ever went. And uh, this was only his second match, but he was already beginning to be a star. You could see he's going to be money. So Ron Wright ar arrived at the set again during Thunderbolt's match. And Les obviously wasn't prepared for it again, you know. So Les, you know, finally, you know, he, he, he welcomed him back, you know, and, and then he had to speak to him about asking him something, you know. So he asked him how he'd, what he'd been doing in his absence from Southeastern. And uh, Ron Wright uh, just one-word answer, really in kind of a nasty tone. And he, he said, I've been doing without. <laughs> <laughs> he said, he said, hmm. my brother and I, we used to be stars here, Les. Uh -huh. You know, you know, you remember those days. And he goes, and, you know, for many years, we were the stars. And, you know, now it's the Fullers. It's Armstrong. It's Joe LaDuke. It's Tony Charles. <laughs> it's wrestlers from all over the world. <laughs> yeah. You know? But, uh, you know, we uh -huh. used to be the deal here, basically, you know. So he was upset. It's a... You know, Les was kind of stunned by that answer. He <laughs> wasn't expecting that, you know. So the studio crowd, obviously, they couldn't hear what he was saying because they're watching a match up there. So the, you know, home audience, they had to be surprised to hear that, you know, out of the clear blue, you know, wait a minute here, what's something's wrong here? So Thunderbolt came to the set after his win in his second match for Southeastern and on TV, and Ron Wright was just leaving. So Thunderbolt gets to the set and Wright's yet to clear the set. And Thunderbolt offers his hand to Wright and uh, and he, he and he gives him a compliment. You could hear because they're right there by the microphone. And you could hear Thunderbolt say to Ron, he said, uh, I've always been a fan of you, Mr. Wright. You know, he, and he wanted to shake his hand. Ooh. And uh, Ron just walked past him 
didn't shake his hand. Oh. And then he said, and this was picked up on the microphone. He says, he says, if you always been a fan, why don't you tell the southeastern owners that? And, oh. And then he went and disappeared. Ah. So now, the, so Thunderbolt asked Les, you know, uh, what's wrong with with uh, Ron Wright? You know, <laughs> you're like, what's the deal here? You know, so uh, boy, but Bolt, man, Bolt was his interviews were just as powerful as his work in the ring, man, and he turned all of his attention, man, to his opponent in Studio B. He had it. He was wrestling the pro the following Friday night. And he just, uh, boy, he just started to tour right into the pro. And uh, they carried, and uh, they're part of the setting up for the next Coliseum show, man. Uh, <laughs> Boat was going places for Southeastern. All right, so, what, so what's going on with Ron Wright? I mean, his, his, the perception is he's a, he's a really good guy, but I, it's, I, think, I think there's an angle in the work here. <clears throat> well, that could be well be the case, my man. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and the show's not really but half over yet. So uh, you know, I'm sure the same question is going to be asked all over the southeast. I'm sure people at home are going, "What's happening here? Yeah. What's wrong with Ron?" Right? You know, because uh, it was very unusual. Yeah, as you said, there's a little show left, and we have plenty of show left here. So what? Th- it's a good place to take a break. Let's do that. We're going to be coming back with Gorgeous George Jr., the Mongolian Stomper, and your brother Robert Fuller on the personality profile. That is coming up next. But first, as we go to the break, let's remind you about Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. Subscribe, ring the bell to get reminders on when the greatest stories in wrestling will hit the YouTube channel. And be sure to tell your friends about Southeastern Rewind. Okay, that personality profile, it's a good one. It's coming up next right here. If you're a big Tennessee stud fan or you know one that would like a Christmas gift from the stud, give them something unique. Now is the time to shop the stud store at tnstud.com. He has everything from personally autographed photos, Tennessee stud mask, continental DVD five packs with 68 matches and 12 hours of old school wrestling highlights. His hot selling personally autographed thriller, Brutus, about a lion loose in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, and Tennessee Stud t-shirts in black and blue. Shop now at tnstud.com. Click Stud Store and be sure to get your order before Christmas. Make this Christmas special for someone with a gift from the stud at tnstud.com. All right, what's up? Welcome back once again. David Summers with the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller, on another Studcast, and we were about to find out What's happening in the personality profile? Fill us in, stud. Okay, so, uh, you know, you kind of covered it uh, before we went to the break. Uh, you know, Gorgeous George Jr. and the Stomper on this one. And uh, I think Les started this one out with some video. And uh, they got to watch their big win, uh, the Stomper's big win, over uh, young Bruiser Brody, uh, which is... Uh, you know, and it was an impressive win, I can tell you that, uh, you know, and I doubt Brody gave many other guys that type of uh, win. Uh, years later, they weren't going to beat Brody like that. So uh, it ended basically with uh, Brody on a stretcher and uh, being carried to the dressing room. So uh, then there was a brief discussion uh, started by Gigi about uh, my having to leave Southeastern. He wanted to go back a couple of weeks and talk about the 
the big win that his stomper had over me and that I was gone. And, and uh, you know, uh, he wanted to brag about that. And, and then he kind of got into my brother because Rob's going to be actually wrestling the stomper the following Friday night. And he said something to uh, Les about, uh, wouldn't it be great if Robert Fuller was the next one out of here? You know, so uh, so Rob uh, <laughs> had pre-recorded his interview that was going to be shown in this profile. And, uh, you know, and he, he, he was about the Southeastern upcoming title match with the Southeastern champion, the Mongolian Stomper. It was an ODQ, and uh, it was shown next. That's the play that uh, Gigi and the Stomper both got to see it. And uh, and Rob spoke about how had been such a raw deal that I got, man, with uh, three guys against just me and uh, getting me out of Southeastern that way. He said he was des- definitely not going to make the mistake, uh, you know, of not having somebody to watch his back, the upcoming Southeastern Championship match, that he would have somebody watching his back. And he explained how bad he felt for me, you know, not not being able to live in my home, <laughs> you know, and uh, and uh, being and, and uh, not being able to wrestle in my, in this area, in the Southeastern area. And, you know, and he says basically it was all because, you know, he couldn't watch my back uh, on that night, uh, you know, that uh, he had got a bad cut from the Don Carson's glove and he was at the hospital being sewn up about the time that the three of them did the job on me. So Gigi finished by pointing out how some of the best wrestlers in Southeastern history were gone now. Four guys, you know, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, Bob Armstrong like Ron Fuller, uh, those guys are gone. And he goes, and, you know, and, and all that's left, you know, as he goes, he says that to Les says, you know, poor guys like Joe LaDuke, who was, you know, permanently damaged uh, when the stomper <laughs> busted the block on his head mm-hmm. a few months earlier mm-hmm. and almost broke his neck, you know. This, so basically he's making a comment that uh, obviously the talent is not as big and as good as they were before. Uh, but, uh, no, he's not considering uh, Pat Barrett. Uh, he's not considering Thunderbolt. Uh, there's a there's a lot of great talent still in Southeastern wrestling yeah, at this yeah, point. Yeah, for real. So, Irish Pat Barrett, he's the next guy up in the ring on the TV. And uh, Ron Wright made himself at home again and uh, stopped in to sit down with us again. And uh, his attitude hadn't changed from the beginning of the show. You know, and Liz kept trying to get him to say something nice, uh, even asking Ron what he thought about this uh, great wrestler in the ring up here from Ireland. Right? I mean, he's trying to have a conversation with Ron and trying to keep it civil, <laughs> and Ron's wanting to be an ass. Yes, <laughs> good work for him, right? <laughs> you know, so uh, obviously then Les, you know, and points out, and they, and he's a, not just a good wrestler; he's a great wrestler from Ireland, uh, Pat Barrett. And uh, so he asked Ron, you know, what does he think of this guy uh, from Ireland? And Ron said he thought he should go back to Ireland. (laughs) He said, you know, he said he said (laughs) something about, you know, American wrestling, uh, you know, it it ought to be full of good old Tennessee dog whoopings, at least two or three of them in every show, you know, (laughs) fans in this part of the country. That's what they're into, you know. And he said the Southeastern Wrestling Company owners, he said, they don't have no idea what wrestling's really all about. And, uh, and they, they've been, and, and that's why he said, if they knew, 
He said, they'd be booking me and my brother Donnie here every week instead of that punk up there from Ireland or wherever it was. <laughs> so, yeah. And then he threw in something at the end about, you know, things just need to be changed around here for the better. You know, and uh, and you could almost hear Les at that point give up on, oh, man, I, I don't want to ask him anything <laughs> else. So so Barrett won, uh, won the match with one of those beautiful throws, man. Uh, another one like the Tony Charles ones that uh, you'd never seen before. It's like, wow, where do these Europeans come up with this stuff? And, uh, you know, and uh, Tony had won so many matches, man. And uh, these guys, you know, their interview, after this match, Tony goes into the other studio. Uh, Ron Wright leaves the desk again, thankfully. And uh, Pat Barrett comes to the desk. And uh, and then they have this their interview. And, boy, it was extremely interesting just for the accents alone, man. You've got an Irish guy and you've got an English guy. And uh, he and Tony Charles, they've been wrestling each other for years <laughs> and years in matches in Europe and all around the world, basically. And uh, the one this next Friday that they're going to have to see who's going to wrestle Royal is maybe as an important match as, as either of them ever had. And either one of these two guys had a great chance to beat Nelson Royal. All they had to do was beat the other guy <laughs> to get there. You know, and uh, wow, I mean, the opponent to get there is just as good as the champion. So, uh, you know, it was going to be a thrilling and fascinating match, man, for Southeastern fans the next Friday night between these two guys. Uh, the fans were going to be treated to some exceptional wrestling, man. So then came the TV main event, last match, championship tag match. Jola Duke, Royley Welch. Uh, they won the Southeastern Tag Championships on October the 28th, which was about two weeks earlier than this TV. And uh, they had to do it. Uh, Roy had to put his hair up to get the match. And, uh, you know, and uh, they won the championship. So on last week's TV, the same two guys, Roy and Joe LaDuke, mm -hmm. had uh, been uh, attacked, basically, by uh, Costello, by Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orton Jr. And uh, they busted both of them open. They were bleeding like crazy, you know. And, uh, and then they went to... Uh, uh, the, the following the night before they had successfully defended their belts against these same guys because these guys got into a, a war and a battle themselves. So they're defending their belts again today against Don Carson and the assassin. Uh, Ron Wright joined Les as the championship match began again. I'm sure Les was happy to see it. And Les didn't have much to say to Wright by this point, and I didn't blame him. And then, you know, he'd kind of dealt with him for three matches in a row here, you know. So uh, so these four great stars had a tremendous match, man. It lasted almost 15 minutes, which is a heck of a long time for a TV match. There had been some short matches. We had that much time left in the program. And, wow, they filled it dramatically. So as the match came toward the end, uh, Joe and Rooley had been in total control most of the match. And all four men were in the ring at the end. And the assassin and Carson, they both stopped the guys that were with them, and they grabbed headlocks uh, on each other, on, on each of the guys. And uh, they started, started to run their opponents. They're going to run Jola Duke's head into Roy Lee. And obviously uh, that didn't work out for him. Roy Lee and Joe shoved him off at the same time. And those two guys collided, Carson and the assassin, both collided face first. 
and uh, they went down. Carson went down on his back. The assassin went backwards, and he crashed into the referee. The referee, when something like this happens, the referee finds him a place to go where he's going to be safe no <laughs> matter what happens in the ring there. And uh, what happened is the assassin took that blow, and he went backwards. The referee standing in that corner uh, hoping to, to be out of the way, and instead <laughs> – uh, the assassin took him out, man. I mean, he wiped him out. He smashed him in that turnbuckles, and, and uh, the ref went down. The assassin Ooh. went down, too, face wow. first. And wow. The referee uh, crumpled in the corner, man. So uh, Roy put Carson right away. Carson's down. He picked him up. He put him in his abdominal stretch, and Joe snatched the assassin up, and he put him in his bear hook. Basically, match was over, man. That was the end of it. The only problem I had was there was no ref that was going to be able to listen, hear either one of them submit. So uh, at this point, Ron Wright, who had had too much to say in this fourth trip to the desk with Les, he jumped up out of his seat, man, and he took off to the ring. And Les screamed at him, you know, where are you going? And uh, Wright didn't answer him, obviously. He hmm. jumped up on the apron of the ring. Hmm. So, you know, it's kind of an odd now. you got to realize that the fans in the studio, they had not heard any of the comments Ron Wright had made during these matches because they're watching the matches and they can't hear what he's saying at the set. Right. So uh, they can't hear what's going on. Uh, so when they see Ron Wright jump up on the apron, they think he's there to help LeDuc and Roy. And uh, they stood up. They're all stood up and started cheering, man. They, they, and so Ron goes into the ring and they're cheering like crazy. They, this is going to be great. Ron's going to help them out. Mm-hmm. And instead, he reached down in his pants pocket and he drew out a tool, man, that uh, that they hadn't seen in Knoxville for uh, years. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, you got it. The chisel. Here he comes. He he goes deep in them pants pocket, and <laughs> out he comes with his chisel. There it is. <laughs> There's my chisel. He had that chisel, man, and the ref was still laying over in the corner, so he didn't he didn't run real quickly to do what he needed to do. He took his time, and uh, and he went over and uh, he put that chisel on his right hand, and he first went to Roy. The fans were still cheering him. They were expecting something very different to happen than what they were about to see. So uh, Roy nor Joe had any fear of Ron Wright. And uh, so they held on to their finish holes. So uh, Wright went to Roy first, and uh, and he happened to be facing. Uh, Roy happened to be facing uh, Ron Wright so that he could see him. And he grabbed Roy in the headlock, and the studio crowd went totally silent. They're like, what the heck is going on? You know, and then, uh, boy, he popped him in the forehead with that chisel. Wow. Uh, blood squirted across the ring, man, and Roy went down face first. So uh, then Wright went toward Joe LaDuke, and Joe had his back turned to him. He didn't see what had happened to Roy. He never saw him coming. And he still had the bear hug on the assassin. And the studio, man, they, they figured it out right then that what the heck was going on. And, boy, they they erupted, man. They're trying to war Joe about, look, oh, God, turn around, look out, look out. So uh, <laughs> Wright hit him in the back of the head with Ooh. it. I'd never seen him hit anybody there before. But Joe's got that bald head. I guess he figured, why not? You know, so he popped him in the back of the head with that chisel. And blood spurted across the ring again, man. And Joe went down face first. 
So right foot Carson on top of Roy, and he put the saxophone on top of Joe, and he left the ring and the studio. And, uh, <laughs> and the referee finally got to his feet, and there the two guys are covered. And so he counted out the Southeastern Tag Champions, and he raised the new champions' hands. Uh, the studio was just going crazy, man, <laughs> trying to tell the ref what the hell happened. Hey, no, no, Ron Wright. He don't know. I mean, he's, he's not seen Ron Wright. Uh, yeah. Ron Wright's been over at the set. What, what are you yeah. talking about? So, yes, what was yeah. what was obvious to the crowd, the ref was just oblivious to. So, right. There you go. Are you kidding? That is crazy. So, All right, so what happens next, Ron? Well, Ron Wright, Don Carson, and the assassin, they, they go get uh, Ron Wright. He goes in the dressing room back there. And uh, Carson and the assassin come out with Ron Wright, and they go to the set less. And uh, they're supposed to be, obviously, uh, Joe LaDuke and uh, Roy Lee in Studio B, but neither one of them are there. You know, they're they're bleeding and, you know, and being helped from the ring. and the, So there's nobody there. So the three of them, Carson uh, Wright and the assassin, they just start celebrating, man, like crazy guys, man, you know, holding the belt up. And Carson starts it out by putting his arms around Ron Wright, man, and hugging him like he's his lifelong friend. And, and he screams over there to Les, uh, he screams, now you know who the devil was. We made the deal with this guy right here. He's your devil, <laughs> right? And, uh, so the assassin screamed about real something real loud. He's got the belt up in one hand. He's holding it over the head, and he says, "It is worth every penny of it, wasn't it, Don?" You know, so <laughs> obviously, some money went into Ron Wright's pocket. So uh, Ron Wright turned to Les, man, and he started. He started out, man. Uh, you know, and he started his leaving those southeastern company idiots. He should have never turned on me and Donnie. You know, <laughs> he said, the, the three of us here, you know, now we're going to change this wrestling company here forever. He said, we're going to get rid of these foreigners. All these clean wrestling matches ain't going to be no more of that. <laughs> these goody two-shoes wrestlers. We're going to bring back the good old days. <laughs> We're going to run the show from here on out. By God, he goes, uh, Southeastern Wrestling's through. He said, you wrestlers better join us or you better find another place to wrestle. So, you know, Les was at a loss for words. <laughs> you know, this had suddenly gone from just being a wrestling a problem to be in a company problem as well, you know, the promotion is in trouble, you know. So, uh, so Rob and the and uh, and Joe Duke, they finally showed up in Studio B, and I'm sure Les was happy to see that he couldn't take much more right. So uh, Les threw it over to him, right? And Rob started off uh, saying something about uh, why his brother. He says, you know, you're looking over there at why my brother and Bob Armstrong are not here anymore. Mm -hmm. And he says, you know, th this is this is more than just about wrestling, I think, Les. He goes, you know, this is about owning the wrestling company. It's about owning something. Oh. So then Joe pushed Rob aside. He, he had a bloody towel, but he had it on the back of his head. When he, when he would take it and look at it, you could see the blood. Then he'd reach back and put it on the, on that place where the old chisel had opened him up. And, uh, you know, he pushed Rob aside and he said uh, he didn't care. He said, I don't care. Joe was in. He did a Joe LaDuke interview, man. He said, basically, I don't give a damn who owns the wrestling company. He says that right now this is personal. 
He goes, you know, he says, my good friend Roy Lee, he's been, he's on the way to the hospital right now. And he says, next Friday night, pointed over there toward the other studio. He says, next Friday night, those three guys over there in that studio, they're going to be making the same trip Roy's making, by God. He said, <laughs> they're going to be getting sewn up next Friday night. He said, if they wanted a wrestling war, he says, they got it. He says, it ain't going to be against Southeastern. It's going to be against me and Roy. And he says, in fact, <laughs> he, was, he was so mad. He was just really ran. He said, I'm bringing my axe to the ring Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wow. All right. This may be the most serious TV show yet. So what happens the following Friday night? Well, uh, Ricky Gibson got a win over Jerry Myatt. The Thunderbolt Patterson beat the pro in the middle of the ring, proving that, uh, you know, he's going places. Tony Charles uh, defeated Irish Pat Barrett, and he was going to be the guy to face Nelson Royal again the following night. Just following Friday night, he, he had a chance uh, three Fridays prior to that to win the title, and he's going to get another shot at it the following Friday night. Uh, Rob won over the Mongolian Stomper by disqualification. And uh, true to Rob's interview in, in this studcast, the one I just talked about in the personality profile, profile, he had Ricky Gibson watching his back, and Ricky ended up getting involved in the match, and he's going to be involved in the next week's match. In fact, he's going to be handcuffed to Gorgeous George Jr. the next time they wrestle the following Friday night. And then you had the Southeastern Championship match was next. Uh, but it was now the champions, Don Carson and the assassin defending against Jola Duke and Roy Lee Welch. They were the new champions. That match was wild. Man. It, <laughs> and it was so, so wild. It had to be stopped probably at around the 20 minute mark. And, uh, in the next studcast, we're going to talk about how Carson and the assassin refused after this match to ever defend the belts again against LaDuke and Roy. Hmm. You know, which is um, a big statement to make, but uh, I think they're going to make good on it. So the last match of the night was also a wild one, man. And it was Mr. Knoxville and Bob Wharton Jr. Uh, and it was a one-hour time limit match, and they wrestled for the entire hour. Wow. But about halfway through that match, they both got to bleeding. So for 30 minutes, they bled uh, in a one-hour match. It was one of the best matches probably in Southeastern history. It was absolutely unbelievable how long they could go and how bloody they got. It was amazing. Wow. It sounds like just as good a night as the TV before it was. All right, so how did you do on attendance? Well, we were at uh, about 5,300. You know, know, we're we're back in the Coliseum. and we're go- on our way. We're going to be going bigger than that for the next three shows in a row. We're going to break that 5,300. Uh, one of the next three is going to be another sellout of the Coliseum. Oh, I bet it is. All right. So, but I, I think you wanted to end this studcast with that today's training winner from the interactive contest about who was involved in the big angle in this studcast. We all know the answer to that question now, but I think you would want to tell us who made the correct guess from a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, 
that's, that's basically what I want to do. And I wanted to save it because I didn't want everybody to know what actually happened in this match. But now, since everybody does know what happened in that TV match. So, and then, and, and oddly enough, Dave, there were actually two winners uh, in the interactive contest. Oh. And uh, so, you know, we got some smart dudes out there. You know, I was obviously asking for anyone that could tell me what was the upcoming company changing direction angle and uh who who was involved in it so there was a first guy named chris mingy and uh he said and uh, and i quote this is what he sent and uh they both of these guys blow me away here he says i think the man behind carson and the assassin would be ron wright and now they've got to bear in mind these these guys wrote this two weeks before this uh, this match that we just talked about. He said, I think the man behind Carson and the Assassin would be Ron Wright. He thinks all the fans cheer for the Fullers and others, that they forgot about him, and he decides to work for the most dangerous wrestlers in the area. Uh, right, on, right on point there. Uh, then uh, Jody McCoy was the second one that had it right. And here, here's his words. He says, new champs, LeDuc and Roy Lee Welch, will feud with the Assassin and Carson before dropping the tag titles to the heel team hmm. after revealing the identity of their new mystery manager, Ron Wright. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> Boy, something else, huh? Wow. I was, yeah. I was blown away, you know. So congratulations, man, to you two future bookers out there. I need to get you guys jobs, you know. Uh, they need you in WWE. <laughs> so, you know, and, and, and I want to thank you guys for, for your answers and for getting involved. In, uh, and, I, you know, I love the fact, Dave, that we've got such knowledgeable listeners out there, man. Uh, we must be doing something right in our today's training segments, man. Yeah, I mean, you're a, you're a pretty decent trainer. All right, I'll give you a little more than that. You're a little, little better and decent. All right, so really, I think you're doing something right with every Studcast stud because they seem to be getting better than ever, like your Southeastern Rewind YouTube channel. Already this week, you've got two great TV shows, USA Show number 15 that is absolutely tremendous and Continental Show number four. Tell us about these two TV shows. Okay, yeah, before we finish up here, yeah, Continental Show number four. It's a short. It's actually only nine minutes long. Now you got to bear in mind that these shows are uh, uh, close to forty years ago, and uh, and this is the only one that isn't a regular length. Uh, the number four show, the best we could find was a nine minute. But wow, the nine minutes, Dave, is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, it's a uh, Tommy Wildfire Rich. And he's in a match going against one of the nightmares, uh, but it's going to end. Uh, he's going to end up fighting both of them before it's over. And, and the nightmares are going to find out. You know, they've been on these uh, continental shows. Uh, they hurt uh, Johnny Rich, and they've been uh, carrying the flowers each week and saying, "Where's Johnny, man? What's happened to Johnny? Where's Johnny?" <laughs> well, they're going to get their question answered on this show. Because once they both get on Tommy, and that building is just electric, man. It's one of the reasons I wanted to have TV made in these huge buildings. Fans watch this, they're going to go, wow. People are going nuts in that building because Johnny 
is going to show up, man, and he's going to help his cousin out. And uh, wow, it's a, it's a great show. So, uh, <laughs> so the, the, this feud between the nightmares and the riches, it's going to be one of the greatest in the history of the sport before it's all over. It's almost a two-year feud that goes on between these four boys, and uh, fans are going to notice that in this particular nine minutes of match, uh, this uh, number four. CCW program, they're going to see two rings because there's a two ring battle royal that same night. So, uh, and I'm going to personally explain, and you mentioned those stud stories. I'm going to do the first, the third stud story. People are going to be able to, to uh, hear it uh, the same day as we're releasing this show. As a matter of fact, I'm going to personally explain in stud story number three, that's going to be released same time as you're hearing this you can find stud story number three on the southeastern rewind channel and you can go there now and you can hear the truly amazing rest of the story that happened on that night in 1985. Mm. uh and uh, just to give fans an idea vince mcmahon's wwe is making its first trip to birmingham that very same night they're right across the street from us in the coliseum and uh and I want fans to hear what happened that night. A pretty amazing story. Uh, and this history, man, it can only be found on my YouTube channel. Uh, it's true wrestling history from the people who lived it. And those people uh, and those stories are on every day on Southeastern Rewind. Uh, uh, these uh, stud stories, I think, are going to become very, very popular for fans. And uh, look forward to everybody uh uh, listening to this one because it has special significance. I can guarantee you that. You're going to hear uh, me talk about the Hulk, uh, about uh, Honky Tonk Man, about Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Uh, all of that's going to be in this uh, stud story number three. Oh, there's a ton, and there's a ton of that, and it, a ton of that is going to be coming in the future as well. So listen, another great one, Stud. On Facebook, become friends with the Stud on his Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud or author Ron Fuller Welsh page. Simply like and follow him there, and you automatically become friends with a legend. On Twitter, follow him on Ron Fuller Welch on Twitter. Get on board the hottest YouTube old-school wrestling channel, Southeastern Rewind. Subscribe today and enjoy great USA, Continental, and Southeastern TV shows from the 1980s in the order they were produced current stud cast, historic stud stories, and a whole lot more. And you can get your Christmas gifts from the stud store this year at tnstud.com. Click on stud store. You can find autograph photos, t-shirts, Tennessee stud mask, a great continental DVD five pack with 62 matches, 12 hours of classic video action, Ron's brilliant Brutus novel. You can even get it autographed and a whole lot more at tnstud.com. Click on stud store. tnstud.com. Click on stud store. All right, that's a lot, Ron. You got a lot going on. So, where do we ride next week? Well, we're going to be riding into November the 18th, 1977, uh, in the Knoxville Coliseum. There's going to be a world title match with Nelson Royal defending his world junior championship against Tony Charles. Uh, and uh, Tony was just seconds away from beating him three weeks earlier 
for that championship. Southeastern and Southeastern tag title matches are going to be on this big card. Mr. Knoxville is going to be going at it again with Bob Orton Jr. in a no time limit this time. Uh, Mr. Wrestling 2 is on this card, and the legendary Korean Pac Song is on the next card. Another today's training and learning tree question, plus a whole lot more next week. Man, I keep saying it, then they just keep getting better and better. How do you top it? <laughs> well, I want to thank everybody, obviously, Dave, uh, and uh, and thank you, my man, for uh, for. Uh, for carrying us through this one again, I want to thank everybody for listening. And don't forget, uh, f- friends out there, uh, tell you tell tell somebody about us if you like the show. You know, uh, please uh, let let your friends and neighbors know about it, and please take care of yourselves and others. And may God bless us all. And God bless you too, Ron. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at David Summers Productions at gmail.com. This Studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud, LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic Studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.